I've had such a hard time navigating what it means to interact with people, what it means to exist and feel along with everyone else. So mm. I feel like I, I do struggle with accepting that I can feel comfortable and at ease. It's okay to accept that some things I might do might hurt people. Mm. I think the fear behind that, though, is I don't know how they're going to react. And I think that stems back from my childhood is I don't know what to do with people's reactions. And so I feel like I have to be vigilant and aware of how my people might react and then prepare for my own reaction to be appropriate in that mm. situation. I'm Sawyer Witted and I'm Scott Tress. Welcome to The Stories That Make Us. This podcast uses the tool of the Enneagram to explore the beauty and complexity of humanity through stories, both real and fictional. Some episodes, we interview live guests about their stories through the lens of their types. Other episodes, we'll dissect fictional characters to discover their types and learn more about ourselves in the process. Because the reality is, it can be hard to see ourselves accurately. The eye can see everything but itself. Thanks for joining us, and let's get to it. Scott, I have another question for you. Mm. Every week. <laughs> if you could make the ultimate sandwich, what would be on it? I don't know if I get creative or if I just go with hometown pride and say... Hometown pride? Yeah. What did I say? Home time. <laughs> yeah, it's less creative, but I just feel the need to go with hometown pride. And I'm going to say the Philly cheesesteak. Why Ooh. break what's already mm. perfect? Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> My initial, <laughs> ready for this? This oh, is how no. <laughs> goofy Sawyer is. My initial reaction was to say Hawaiian, but that's pizza and not a that's sandwich. Not a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a straight Hawaiian roll. <laughs> so Hawaiian nothing roll. on it. Nothing on it. Yeah, if I could eat gluten, bro, oh. I would just have the bread with nothing on it, just because I'd be so happy and thankful for the bread. <laughs> Actually, really quick sidebar. Did you know that pineapple? Since we're talking about Hawaiian pizza, okay. this is this is how I got here. In case you were wondering the connection, did you know that pineapple like eats away the inside of your mouth? Like pineapple digests you. <laughs> Isn't that horrifying? A I'm not bit. even kidding you right now. <laughs> that is a scientific thing that I just learned about this past week. I have multiple of my friends who are telling me that like their mouths will not feel great. They'll like go a little Worth numb it. when they're eating pineapple. Does your mouth ever go numb when you eat pineapple? If I eat a lot, I just thought it was acidic. I've never noticed that. I think there's something wrong with me. I like pineapple is one of my favorite fruits. I love it. Oh, it's and delicious. I, it's yeah. worth the pain. I've eaten tons of it before and I've never noticed pain. Hmm. Anyway, I yeah. think there's something wrong with me, but I just wanted to... <laughs> If there's something wrong with you in that you don't feel pain, it's a good thing. Yeah. I guess. Of all the 99% of creation yeah. that I am allergic to. <laughs> exactly. The 1% that I'm not is pineapple. Go me. <laughs> so today's episode is all about fives. Scott, let's tell the people about the fives. The core fear for type five is being thought of as incapable or ignorant, being invaded or overwhelmed by others, which could catastrophically deplete their energy. When fives were young, they felt either engulfed and over-nurtured, or they felt completely neglected. Their parents or primary caregivers often felt either domineering of them or completely detached from them. They felt that their needs were not taken care of. That's the bottom line for this type five is that they felt like their needs were not taken care of as kids. 
And so they tend to believe that if they are not prepared, knowledgeable, vigilant towards what they need and attaining that for themselves, they will be invaded, annihilated, overwhelmed by the world and those in it. So all of this comes together and leads the child five to believe an unconscious message that it is not okay to feel comfortable in the world. So then the second core motivation of the type five is their core desire, and that's to be knowledgeable, competent, and capable. And as they're running towards that core desire, they're tripping over their core weakness, which is the third core motivation. And for type fives, that is greed, specifically regarding their energy, as well as an emotional greed and a relational greed. Because they have the least energy of all types and don't believe that they will be what they need to be in relationships, they hoard or withhold their energy and relational capacity from others. While often deeply emotional people, they stuff their emotions because they aren't as calculable, and thus they struggle to express their emotions. The core longing, the thing that saves the type 5 from this trap of their type, is that your needs are not a problem. As per usual, because we don't want to just talk about 5s without talking with someone who is a 5 themselves, we've invited Esther Maffet-Hines on the podcast today. Scott, tell us about Esther. Esther is a data entry specialist at a finance company. She is a lover of coffee, food, and the great outdoors. She is married to a type 9, like myself, and has found the Enneagram to be a useful tool to navigate relationships in her own life. Here's our interview with Esther. We hope you enjoy it. Esther, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's great to have you here. I'm happy to be here. So as we begin to describe a type and what that lens looks like, we start with the core fear. And for type fives, that core fear is being thought of as incapable or ignorant. For some type fives, they've said being invaded or overwhelmed by others is a fear of theirs because that could potentially lead to a catastrophic depletion of their energy. Oftentimes, as a kid, you felt some kind of pain. It was some kind of wounding message that you heard either explicitly or implicitly. And so it may never have been said to you directly, but you still felt and experienced this message. Before we get to what that message is for the type five children, I'm curious for you, Esther, what was your household like growing up and what was your unique perspective in all of that? Yeah, so my household was very disconnected emotionally and also overwhelmingly emotional, which sounds Mm. like two polar opposites. But what I mean by that is my family just had a lot of different emotional struggles and struggled with how to cope with those emotions and then how to also express those emotions in a healthy way. Mm. And to this day, I still don't really know the full picture of why that was happening when I was younger. But I know that they just didn't have the resources or the tools to cope or to express in healthy ways. So for example, my mom would be really set off by little things, things that my brother and I would do that were just, I don't know, I guess acting out, but it just triggered my mom in the way that frustrated her. And so she didn't really know how to control her expression of emotion in a way that was appropriate, if that makes sense. It wasn't anything physical or anything like that. It was just very verbal. She was very over the top in her expression of feelings. And so that just came across to us as very harsh and careful. And I also, I recognized looking back to that I didn't know how to process any of that or explain to myself, okay, my mom's frustrated, but she's not necessarily frustrated with me. She's frustrated by other things happening around her. Mm. And then with my dad, he would overcompensate 
for my mom a bit. So he would not be reactive in any way towards mm-hmm. things. Yeah, he would just be very like stoic, especially if my mom was being, if it, she, my mom was expressing things in a way that she was frustrated or she was angry or she was really upset, my, my dad would be very stoic. So I just had polar opposite models of expression and displays of feelings that were just very confusing to me. And Mm. it made it very difficult for me to figure out how I was feeling or how to express or communicate my feelings to my parents, to my brother, to anybody around me. So yeah, and this definitely impacted my relationship with my family, like moving forward into my teens and young adult life. And I ended up feeling very insecure about expressing anything, which led me to be more of an internal processor and observer of like how people would react to things. And I would just take this more backseat position with different events happening around me in order to figure out, okay, I don't know how these things make me feel. I don't know if I should feel this way, if I feel should feel sad, angry, what, whatever. I would also observe how people would react to things. And then I would decide, okay, maybe that's how I should react. Maybe it's not. And so it was just very confusing trying to figure out how to express things and to communicate with my family and what my relationships were supposed to look like, not with just my family, but with friends and other people around me as I was growing up. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I find it really interesting. The one word that you said, which was observe and you were saying that you would observe to, to gather what's going on, how people are responding so that you then know how to respond in a situation. Right. That was really interesting. That kind of stuck out to me. And that feels like a very 5 thing as well. Yes. Yeah. So it's not surprising to me that you share about an experience of having both emotionally disconnected and overly emotional reactions and experiences from your parents because oftentimes type fives are very in tune with emotions actually and what's happening emotionally doesn't necessarily mean they know or they can describe what's happening for themselves internally but they're aware of other people's emotionality so to speak when other people are being really emotional or expressing any kind of emotion like the five has an awareness and kind of a radar for that and specifically when you're children, we really don't know how to make sense of the data that's presented to us. Right. Little type fives often felt engulfed and over-nurtured, or they felt completely neglected by their parents. Their parents often felt either domineering or completely detached. What that leads to for the type five is that their needs are not being taken care of. They're left alone and they have to fend for themselves to prepare and collect data and just know how to move forward themselves And it leads them to leave this unconscious message that it's not okay to feel comfortable in the world. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, that does resonate with me because I feel like the world has told me that message because I've had such a hard time navigating what it means to interact with people, what it means to exist and feel along with everyone else. I feel like I've just been told different messages or this is how you should act in the situation. This is how you should feel in the situation. This is what you should or shouldn't do in this circumstance. And that has just been very confusing for me for much of my life because I feel like I tend to feel differently and react differently. And I feel like I have to take my time to think about the different choices I make in my interactions. And so 
I feel like I have to be extra careful about what words I choose to say or if I should have thought ahead about something or anything like that. So I feel like the second I feel comfortable, I might be missing something or I Mm. might be like a few steps behind or like just not being as sensitive to something going on. I feel like I have to have this vigilance and more awareness about what's going on. And I feel like I work really hard to be self-aware and to be aware of others, but it doesn't always feel like it's enough. But I also recognize I put a lot of expectations on myself in that too. It's not always people around me telling me these are the expectations for how you're supposed to react or interact with people. It's me telling myself, oh, you're not doing enough to think about others or to think about how you're supposed to posture yourself in these types of situations. So yeah, that message really resonates with me because it's hard to accept that I am not perfect at figuring out how to care for others well or to care for myself well or figuring out the right things to say when I feel like people need me to have the right things to say. So I feel like I I do struggle with accepting that I can feel comfortable and at ease and it's okay to not perfectly interact with people. It's okay to accept that some things I might do might hurt people. Hmm. I think the fear behind that though is I don't know how they're going to react. And I think that stems back from my childhood is I don't know what to do with people's reactions. And so I feel like I have to be vigilant and aware of how my people might react and then prepare for my own reaction to be appropriate in that mm. situation, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I've always said that I have the most to learn about fives. I think that's just about everyone in the Enneagram because five's defense mechanism, which we'll get to soon, is isolation. There's a joke of like fives are the hardest podcast guests to find because fives are just the hardest to find. (laughs) 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 But all joking totally aside and stereotyping aside, (laughs) I have the most to learn from fives, I think, because where a five will stand back and observe and watch, I will be impulsive and just jump in and start responding to things emotionally and feeding off emotions and just like mirroring people's emotions. And just, yeah, I I think learning to sit back and wait and observe and also think. I don't think, like I don't really (laughs) spend a lot of time in my head thinking. I I don't do productive thinking. I get stuck in Mm. unproductive thinking. But anyway, all that to say, of all the Enneagram types, I feel like the fives have the most to teach me. And so this is this hearing you explain this is actually really helpful to me. Um, That's good to hear. And it absolutely does make sense. What is a situation from your childhood that you feel stands out that connects to this message that it's not okay to feel comfortable in the world? There was a moment when I was pretty young. I was probably like seven or maybe younger. I'm not sure. But my brother and I were put on timeout by our mom. I don't remember exactly what happened or what we were punished for, but I remember my mom was upset with us and it was hurtful for us. And my brother and I were sitting on the steps to the side of the house where we would normally sit on timeout. My brother was next to me sobbing and I was on like the verge of tears as well too. But I felt like I had to be controlled. I Mm. had to control my emotions Mm. because it felt like the things around me emotionally were not being controlled and... And maybe not safe. 
Yeah. Yeah. I emotionally didn't feel safe. I felt like my mom had all the power, even though I do recognize she was working through her own issues. She was trying to cope. And I also recognize that as a child too, my memory of things is probably also warped because I didn't have the ability to process things and understand my emotions and understand my mom's emotions and what was all going on. So I recognized that she was trying to deal with things and we were limited in our understanding of what was going on and how to process things ourselves Mm. too. But yes, I feel like in that moment, I felt like I couldn't be comfortable. I couldn't at least, yeah, I couldn't feel safe. And I feel like when a child hides their emotions, that's not very typical unless they feel threatened. And so in that moment, I can identify that I felt a certain way. I didn't feel like I could express it because I had to control that because I couldn't control anything else around me. Right. My mom wasn't able to be responsible with her emotions, but, and also Mm. care for mine. Mm. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. There's so much you're saying there that has to do with not having a safety to express your emotional needs. Like, Children have a lot of freaking emotional needs. Mm-hmm. Children are utterly dependent upon their parents, right? And so when they cry, that's a signal that something's wrong. And if you're not able to signal that something's wrong because you feel like you can't cry or you need to just control yourself because whether it is or if it just feels like it's not a safe space, which it sounds like for you, it was not a safe space. Regardless, that was your experience. Children are excellent observers and horrible interpreters. Um, <laughs> We observe all the things that happen, but we're so bad at interpreting what they mean. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a big thing too. I always hear people when we're talking about our family, and I do this myself, like we want to be really like defensive of our parents. They did the best they could. They didn't know and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, while that may be true, we could grow up in the best homes ever. The reality is as children with immature minds, and again, not being able to interpret things well, we still experience certain things and then our brain changes. And then as our brain is growing, it forms all of those connections together to communicate to us messages that we believe are true about ourselves because that's what we've experienced. It's kind of maddening. (laughs) But yeah, so anyway, all that you said, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I definitely hear that message in there that it's not okay to be comfortable. It's not okay to be emotionally comfortable, right? You got to keep that inside. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. When we feel our core fear as children, we have parts of us that say, never again, never going to feel that again. Mm. One of the biggest parts for all of us is our primary defense mechanism. And so for the type five, that's isolation. And what that looks like is it's both external isolation and internal isolation. Externally, they'll isolate in their relationships, their life, their work. But the way that they isolate internally is with their emotions and their energy. They'll actually isolate from themselves inside so that So it's actually this like masterful compartmentalization technique. Oftentimes they believe that the unrelenting neediness of life justifies their greed. And we'll get to what the greed looks like for the type five, this kind of hoarding of themselves. We'll get to that in a little bit when we talk about the core weakness. But but often this isolation for the five, rather than providing them safety and comfort, it actually leads them to struggle with more fear and more loneliness because they get more in their heads about it. And so this is how the five defends the fear. There's a message that sounds something like this. As I continue to stand back from and compartmentalize my surroundings and feelings and just observe, I no longer have to feel incapable, incompetent, or stupid. And I can focus all of my attention on getting what I desire. How have you seen this defense mechanism in your life? Yeah, I've definitely bought into the belief 
that isolation is safer than physically engaging, emotionally engaging, emotionally expressing. Definitely as a kid and a teenager, I would physically isolate a lot because I just had such a hard time figuring out how do I interact with kids? How do I interact with my parents? How do I engage with the world and how do I view myself in the world? I grew up with this very detached view of myself. Like if Esther's here in this situation, like what would she do type of thing? Or just, yeah, even with... You're making sense. Okay. Yep. (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate that information. (laughs) You are. Because that's also what I struggle with too is, okay, am I making sense to the person in front of me too? Like I feel like very, it can be very detached in like how I view myself which is like really crazy to think about and explain, I guess. But when I'm dealing with something or if I'm dealing with a question, it's usually a question I have in my mind. Am I comfortable? Am I capable? What do I feel in this situation? I ask myself these questions and I do compartmentalize. I compartmentalize, okay, this might be how I feel, but let me think about it first before actually feeling it. (laughs) (laughs) And then... Then also asking others questions like maybe about, okay, what do you think about the situation? How do you feel about it? And then trying to decide, okay, that's their feelings. This is what I think about my feelings. This is what I think about their feelings. And then I'm not even feeling things yet. (laughs) And so that's like a whole nother process as part of dealing with situations and making decisions. And a lot of times this is all happening in my head. Like if I'm just sitting with a group of friends or just sitting alone watching like a show or something or just sitting at work while I'm doing whatever. I'm thinking about all these things and I'm able to compartmentalize Mm. feelings, thoughts, memories, reactions, reliving like situations over and over again in my head. I used to be at a point where I just knew I felt something, but I couldn't express it. Like I couldn't cry or I couldn't be angry, even though I knew like that was a valid feeling that I should allow myself to feel, even if it was just temporary. So anything like that. And then it would be difficult for me to talk to people about that. I feel sad, but like I would never show it. Or if I was angry, like how do I explain that to someone without externally showing those emotions? Because I had such a disconnect from my brain and my heart. But Definitely has gotten better over the past couple of years. So that is good. But I definitely still see tendencies where I fall into the belief that people aren't able to care for my emotions or won't take me seriously unless I express those emotions externally. Like I buy into a lot of those self-sabotaging lies that make the problem worse for me because then I don't give people the opportunity to learn more about me and Mm -hmm. to practice explaining what I need from others and how they can better care for me. Wow. Very well articulated. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. You just helped me understand that compartmentalization in a way that I feel like I haven't before for type fives. Really? Yeah. I, I would always hear this phrase thrown around in the Enneagram world about how fives think about their feelings. Yes. Like they don't feel their feelings. They think about their feelings. You just described it in a way that made so much sense to me because I just didn't understand. I just feel, I feel feelings. Like I don't necessarily feel my own feelings, but I'm feeling the feelings of everyone in the room to Mm. the point that what then when I'm alone, if I haven't taken care of myself, when I'm alone, I just feel sad and depressed. And so I'm a very highly feeling individual. I think, yeah, hearing about the fives, thinking about their feelings just never 
I could conceptually understand it, but I feel like I understand it even better now with you having just explained that because yeah, this idea of separating all these different things and then thinking about how you would react in that situation or what a particular situation or person, what feeling they could potentially bring up in you, like you're still just thinking about it all. You're not actually processing any of those feelings. And also if it's not okay to be comfortable in the world, part of being comfortable in the world is sharing what we're feeling, right? Like when you share what you're feeling, that's vulnerability. And Mm -hmm. to be able to be vulnerable and feel safe, like you got to be comfortable as well. So if you have this belief that you can't be comfortable in the world, it's going to make a lot of sense that it's not okay to feel feelings either. I think in my childhood too, I just saw feelings as hurtful. Mm. They have this volatility to them that was just very unpredictable, very uncontrolled, unstable, and insensitive to Mm. people around. It was insensitive to me, it felt, from Mm. my mom. And so it felt like if I were to let go of that, if I were to open that up, it would do the same to other people, or it would open up the opportunity for hostile reactions to happen more because my feelings would be dismissed or I wasn't communicating them the right way. And so they were taken in a whole different direction by somebody else or by by my mom or by a friend or something like that. And so I think that, yeah, I'm trying to figure out why, what my point was with that. I think you were affirming the, it's not okay to share your feelings. Yeah. Yeah. That's just another reason behind that, that I think that I sure. just ended up believing but wasn't wasn't realizing that's what I was believing right. and living out and why I became more comfortable with internal processing and self-sufficient in trying to take care of my own needs, but not really doing that because I wasn't giving people the opportunity to help me right. understand how to do that better. That's actually a really good segue into the core desire because you're speaking about this thing that we focus our attention on because we don't believe our core desire can actually happen. And you're talking about this stinginess. So let me explain. Mm -hmm. So the core desire, this is the second core motivation for the type five. It's to be knowledgeable, competent, and capable, especially when it comes to emotions and relationships. And so you want to be competent and capable and knowledgeable, but believing that you can never really be sure that you will be, you focus your attention on stinginess instead. Mm -hmm. And what that looks like is this withholding So first, you withhold your emotions and your relational attention from other people. And then secondly, you'll withhold your care for your own heart and your own body as you retreat into just your mind and hang out just in the logical ideas, mental analysis, observation part of your being. Similar to the defense mechanism, which was isolation, this stinginess, this mental fixation of yours is also internal and external. There's a belief that the five has to hide their emotions and conserve their emotional energy from people. Because people in relationships are, quite frankly, erratic and unpredictable. And so it's safer to just stay cut off and unknown. So you've touched on this a little bit, so you don't have to spend too much time here. But how do you find yourself thinking about this? Is observing or researching what primarily consumes your attention? What does that look like for you daily? Yeah, I think that honestly, stinginess, when I saw that word, or when I think about that word, it's a hard pill to swallow because I don't think of myself as that. in that way but it makes sense i think the belief behind that though is i feel like i'm doing people a favor Hmm. i feel like i'm protecting people 
I guess from my, like going back to that, if I open up, then there's this can of worms that like could potentially hurt others or set me up for less protection of myself. It's also good for me to conserve as much as possible because then I feel like, oh, I'll have more energy for others later or I'll be able to be more of myself if I do conserve more. But in reality, that's not always the case and it's always it's not always the most helpful for me and for people around me too. Beth McCord, who is the CEO of your Enneagram coach and the woman who trained me and certified me in the Enneagram, she talks about the fives. If you think of like a phone battery that is charged overnight, we all, almost all of us charge our phones overnight. So we wake up in the morning, we have 100% juice. For the five, it'll charge all night and they wake up in the morning with 25% juice. And that's what they have every yes. day. Yes, that is so true and i actually like yeah i've never thought about it i have been given the battery analogy before but i'm like Mm -hmm. oh my gosh that resonates so much because i wake (laughs) up and i do not want to move my body i don't want to like think about anything i don't want to like engage with the world (laughs) when they wake up yeah that is so true that's crazy Mm. yeah so i think that starting out that way makes it hard to it just takes a lot for me to be motivated to step outside of myself. I feel like I can build, I, I think I, yeah, there's, there's this analogy that one of my therapists used and she was like, it seems like you're like building this Lego piece of yourself and like <laughs> you need to like step away from that, outside of that and I don't know, let yourself like, that seems so tangible to you, but it's not actually you. It's not real. It's not like what the world is like. You need to step outside of that and mm. grab onto the things that are already right in front of you and right. interact with that and engage with that. Because what your Legos are not, <laughs> they're not real. Right. They don't feel, they don't engage right. in the way that you can and that mm. you are able to. Yes. You're kind of speaking right into the core weakness as well which is this greed. Because you have the least relational energy of all nine types, this greed develops in the heart of a five. And specifically, it's a greed regarding their energy. Oftentimes, you'll find many fives that are very generous people. (laughs) If someone asks a five for something, they're going to give it to them, right? They don't want to rustle feathers. They don't want to cause conflict. You You want to give people what you can give them. I know many fives who are very generous with their money, who are very generous with their resources in that way. So it's really helpful when we talk about the greed of the five to know that this is more of a relational greed. And oftentimes a word that people use for this greed, this weakness is actually avarice, which has more of a relational withholding energy to it. While often type fives are deeply emotional people, they have emotions, they do have feelings, they're not robots. Oh, yes. (laughs) They'll stuff their emotions because they aren't as calculable and thus they struggle to express their emotions. And so that's where your repressed center comes into play as well. And so your doing muscle is underdeveloped. So we talk about the three muscles, right? The three instinctual centers of the Enneagram. We have the head triad, the heart triad, and the gut or body triad. For the type fives, your repressed center is the body, the gut triad. It's (laughs) moving into action, right? It's doing something with all the thoughts and the feelings. And so people, again, think that fives are just these robots who just think and that's just, that couldn't be further from the truth because y'all have a lot of feelings. It's more so you just get stuck analyzing your feelings and observing your feelings like we were talking about right. earlier. Yeah. Do you find that you struggle to connect to your body gut center? Yeah, I definitely do. I think that I could go on and on in my head 
forever. Yeah, I just entertain a lot in my head. I like to do a lot of research, just random stuff, figuring out what the best espresso machine is, trying to figure out like what's the next career path that I should or shouldn't take and drive my friends crazy with (laughs) how many plans I can come up with for anything and be really knowledgeable about things. But I don't actually do much about it. And Mm. I have a much harder time just doing basic things like laundry and dishes and caring for myself too, even in a lot of ways that require me doing tasks. So yeah, I think also doing things invokes feelings too. So when I actually do things, I have to address that doing this makes me anxious or doing Mm. this feels heavier than it should feel. And so I often just retreat to my mind because then I can focus on other things that are more interesting to me or feel better or better to think about in my head than actually thinking about what's in front of me and facing, even if it's such a small thing, it still might invoke some sort of feeling in me that I just don't want to recognize or deal with or process and think about. Yeah. If I have to. (laughs) That's so good, Esther. Not good in the sense it's not healthy, but it's just such good self-awareness. That's what I mean. Yeah. And it really does make a lot of sense given everything we've talked about so far. Could you help me understand when I said that fives are highly emotional people, you were like, oh, yes. Can you share with me what that looks like? Because again, we don't, as an outside person, we often don't see your emotions. So I'm curious, what is that like internally? Yeah. So I feel like a lot, at least for me, I don't know if this is all fives, but a lot of our emotions are very delayed. Even we might feel something and not be able to express it externally. But when we're alone, that's when we feel safe. So a lot of times those emotions will come out after the fact or much later on, like a week later or something like that. We do feel those emotions, but often we just struggle to to feel safe expressing them. And I think that I've gotten to a much better place where I do and can express them with people that I do feel safe around, but still it comes out more in private and in isolation because that's where we've been where we've gone to for so long and where we feel the most safe. And so then by the time we're around people again, we've already processed that and felt that. And so then it's not going to necessarily come out again in front of others. So that also makes it hard because then it's like, okay, yes, I have emotions about this. I have felt this. I have expressed this too, but people aren't seeing it that much. And so it's hard to feel like I connect with everyone else and people connect with me if I'm not able to make that emotional, same emotional transaction in person, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm, Yeah, that's helpful. Do you cry? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you cry mainly when you're alone? Yes. Although now that I'm married, (laughs) that comes out a little bit more. Sure. But even with that, it still might just come out in like the middle of the night if he's Mm. like asleep or something or like it it still can feel like a very private part of my life, even though it's not anymore. (laughs) Right. Um, But yeah, so I do cry. I do have emotions like that come out. That was a really personal question that I asked. So thanks for answering it. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) Thanks for asking them. Yeah. Yeah. These are just things that I'm thinking about as you're talking. I, as a two, I really struggle to let people see my feelings. Mm. It's really interesting, actually. Twos, fives, and eights share this in common. Mm. We think that our job in the world is to just provide something for people (laughs) rather than providing our, like just being ourselves. 
And also almost like it's selfish or wrong to take from people. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like this. I just have to give because if I don't give, people will reject me. If I don't offer something, people are going to reject me. For twos, that's love and care and attention. For eights, it's protection and power and strength. And for fives, it's knowledge and competency. And competency is not just, hey, I know how to change the oil on a car and I can help you do that. It's Sure, that might be part of it, like knowing how to do something practical. But it's also this internal battle of I need to be competent with my emotions. I need to be calculated with what I share, what I don't share, because I don't want to overwhelm people. And that leads right into the core longing, which is the fourth core motivation of type five. This is what your body your mind, your heart, your soul needs to hear. And that is that your needs are not a problem. Your emotions are not a problem. Your feelings are not a problem. Your thoughts, physical needs, your relational, your emotional needs, they're not a problem. They're not a problem to be solved. They're not a problem to be avoided. They're part of just what makes you human and we all have them. And so you spend all your life running from this message (laughs) as a five. And so... I'm curious, as I just say it, like, what does it bring up for you? What are your, how are you receiving it in the moment right now? Yeah, right now, it's much easier to receive than it has been in the past. I think in Mm -hmm. the past, it's very easy to dismiss that and to downplay my problems or my needs because part of us, you just want to avoid how that makes you feel. And you don't want to recognize that you struggle with believing that your needs are a problem and Mm -hmm. that you think that's how people view you and that's something that you take on as how you view yourself. I think it's still difficult to accept in some ways just because it's still difficult to navigate how do I let people care for me? How do I explain and communicate my needs to people without being so calculated and Mm. worrying about how people react, whether or not they'll be overwhelmed. But I also have to remember in this, I'm responsible for not making me feel like my needs are a problem just as much as people around me. If I believe my issues are not worth giving time and attention to, then that's going to turn them into more problems later on. (laughs) And it doesn't give others the opportunity to care for me and for me to learn from their perspectives too. And for them to be able to point out, hey, have you thought about this? Or giving me some sort of affirmation too, where I might be doubting myself or insecure and having an opportunity for them to be reassuring and speak something truthful that debunks myths or lies that I'm believing about myself and my problems and my needs. Mm. It's amazing how much we need people to help reinforce this core longing. And that's not just fives, like every type, we need people to help reinforce our core longing. Because the reality is that we've had people in our past and sometimes even in our present who prove this core longing false. There are people who have shown you that your needs are a problem to them. There are people who have shown me as a two that I'm not wanted. I'm not desired. There are people who don't desire and want me in their life. I think that's where like tenacity is part of maturity for us of holding these two truths together. One, that there are people who will prove our core longing wrong, but at the same time, there are people who will prove it true. Right. That our needs are not a problem. The types five's emotions and relational neediness that every human being has is not a problem. And it's actually oftentimes a joy for people to meet those things. Yeah, People really enjoy being in relationship with those that they love and getting to care for them and give to them. And yeah, it's beautiful. And I think that's also where like, where I say to a lot of people, like you can't really get free of your type's trap unless you believe this truth. Like mm-hmm. this truth has to be true 
in your life and it has to come from somewhere or someone. Mm. For us, we get that from first and foremost from God, right? God says these things to us like your needs are not a problem to him at all. He wants and desires me. And so I think that's like the first place it needs to come from. And then like really close second is it needs to come from the people in our lives who love us. Mm. Yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah, I agree. It's important to have a voice outside of your head, especially Mm. as a five. Yeah. (laughs) Telling you stuff that you need to hear, whether it's, Mm. it might be tough love or it might be something actually soft, which I feel like fives, Mm. especially me, I need some soft affirmations and reassurance about things. And I don't like to admit that I need affirmation. (laughs) And that's, I think, just part of the struggle too is, okay, I, I feel like I need to take care of my own needs, but I can't. And I struggle to just do things like that. And I need accountability and I need people to point out things in me that I'm not doing well. And I need to not take that the wrong way and not get caught up in, oh, I'm not doing, I'm not competent. I'm not doing the things that I should be doing. I'm not acting at my full potential. No, you're human (laughs) and you need other humans to help you be a human. And Mm. it's that simple. And we're all different. We all have different needs. And these are yours. And you're not supposed to carry those needs alone. And you need to Mm. freaking open up and (laughs) let people see what you need. And that's going to make you a lot more helpful to other people if your needs are cared for. Yeah. Amen to that. I've been theorizing one of the ways that we can help ourselves start to believe our core longing is by engaging the instinctual center of ours that is repressed. And so for the type fives, as we talked about, your oppressed center is your body. Mm. And so before you can receive the message that your needs are not a problem, you need to actually get into your body. You need to move into action. You need to just talk to someone. You need to move forward and ask someone, hey, do you mind if I just verbally process or, or whatever, right? It looks like being relationally intentional with people, going on walks, hanging out with them, even when you may not feel like you have the energy to do so. And I I don't mean like constantly every night you're hanging out with someone. (laughs) That sounds Mm -hmm. exhausting, even for me as a two. But more so this idea of engaging your gut or your doing center, so to speak. So yeah, Esther, this has been so great. I've loved having you on and talking and helping me understand more about fives. There's a couple of things that Scott and I recommend for each type to practice. And so the first of these practices is breath prayers. Mm -hmm. And so for type fives, that's taking a deep breath in and breathing out the message that I am safe, I am competent, I am provided for, I am taken care of. Mm. Are there any that you would add to that? Yeah, I think that I would add, I'm able to give, I'm able to relax and not worry. I am content because I do struggle with that Mm. as well. Being content with the things around me that are safe and that are exactly what I do need. And I am allowed to feel and express my feelings. Wow, that's good. That's valuable. The second practice that we recommend is affirmations. It's really important sometimes, like you were just saying, like we need to hear a voice outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when we actually speak something out loud and our own ears hear it come out of our mouths, it can have a similar effect. It's not the same as another person saying it, but I think self-affirmations are actually really important and something that we don't practice enough. And so for the type five, the self-affirmation that we recommend would be, I am not a problem my needs are not a burden for people, and I am enough in relationships, apart from how I observe and try to prepare myself by knowing all and being competent in those things. I already that's, am enough. That's good affirmation. That's res- resonating that to myself. <laughs> mm, yeah. 
the third practice is rather than an active practice, like breathing or speaking, this one's actually just remembering. So if you think of yourself as a tree, you've got the roots and then the trunk of the tree, and that is your core longing. Your needs are not a problem. As that firm foundation of that tree is growing on that truth that your needs are not a problem, it begins to grow these beautiful branches and these branches reach out and touch the trees around them and everything. And what that is, is your virtue. And that's the generosity. So the generosity starts to affect the people around you. Then those branches then produce fruit. And that fruit that grows from that virtue is community and relational connection Mm -hmm. and the joy of being known and knowing others and having security, which is different than safety, right? You could stay home the rest of your life and be safe, but you wouldn't be secure because you would still have the anxiety and all of your unmet needs. Being secure has way more of a relational component to it than safety does. Mm. And so friendships that are meaningful and purposeful begin to develop for this type five and creates this security and honestly, a greater purpose for the type five. Yeah. Are there any, as we close up here and finish off, are there any final thoughts that you have or like golden nuggets or advice you want to leave for fives or anything like that? I would say talking about this, even you like invited me to come on as a five. Like I was like, this requires vulnerability. (laughs) 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 This requires me to process and to potentially feel things that I maybe have been putting Mm. off processing and feeling and so yeah i mean i think that this was a very good first of all it's great to talk to you and i appreciate your questions a lot and i think that the enneagram helps particularly helps five it helped me like figure out so much even though fives i believe work really hard to be self-aware we still struggle a lot because we're so disconnected and so questions Mm. and prompts and just things that the Enneagram provides really are helpful tools for fives who are struggling to understand how to engage in the world and how to process and to deal with a lot of things that we feel are so hard for us to understand ourselves, but also for others around us. And I think that this has just been, again, just such a good tool for me to learn how to communicate with myself and with others around me and understand more of the way God has made me and how... Mm it's okay. And there's not problems with that. There's different issues that we all have, but God has also made us in ways that are different for a reason and different ways that we're gifted. And it's cool to see how those differences can also help unify us and help us connect and learn from each other. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I just think that I would encourage specifically fives to use this to be brave, recognize the truth about your pain and the hard things you deal with internally, but be willing to share that with others because Mm. you're not as disconnected from people as you think you are. You're not as disconnected from people as you think you are. What a great note to end on. Esther, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on here. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for being generous with yourself and showing yourself and the beautiful human that you are. Thanks, Swigger. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm so glad we could talk. Seriously, guys, I don't think any of us who are not fives understand how much courage it takes for five to let themselves be known. Thank you so much to Esther for sharing so vulnerably today. 
If you have any fives in your life who you think would benefit from hearing this episode, won't you do us and them a favor and share it with them? Also, we'd be stoked if you could give us all the stars on our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Yes, and if you're curious about the song in the background, this is my song titled Five from my concept album of Enneagram-type-specific songs called Ennea Songs. Fun fact about this song, this is the only song that I wrote a whole orchestral part to. It's at the end of the song, and it symbolizes the five stepping out into the world confidently and showing up with the power that is theirs to own. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Always remember, we need a tool like the Enneagram to grow in self-awareness because what you don't own, owns you. Have a good one, everyone. Objective, steady, smart, and detached Safely guarded from the attacks I fear from you Your words? <laughs> like such friendliness. It's like, I'm it's not that true. friendly. <laughs> eternally, <laughs> like, like yeah, eternally grateful. Friendly. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, come on. You're right. I would say that, but you wouldn't. You're right. I'm a little happy. I don't even know if I would say happy. It wasn't a drag, so. Yeah. Your mom's not a drag. Thank you. She's a really nice lady. She's a fun time. Ready? I'm ready. You turd. <laughs>